0: Have you got your mojo working? Do you just want to give it a good kickstart? Either way, you've come to the right station. The Mojo Radio Show will help you get your mojo working at work and at play.
1: I got my mojo working, but it just won't
2: work on you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have your company this week. Thank you for hitting the download button. I'm back from the 2016 Tour de Cure, happy to be sitting on a nice comfy seat in the studio. (laughs) Uh, Although the specialized bike I was riding, the lovely specialized tarmac was a great ride and it got me 1,550 kilometers from Brisbane to Sydney. Gotta say, sitting in a nice leather-bound chair is quite a relief after 10 days of riding from (laughs) Brisbane to Sydney, we made it back. We hit Darling Harbour on Sunday at lunchtime. There were thousands of people there to welcome us. Very big tour. I think we raised just over $4.8 million, which makes $25 million since we started in 2007. So this being our 10th celebration. So all in all, Robbo, we uh, we had a good tour. Back in the studio, back to get at it, but uh, mate, it was a very successful trip.
0: Mate, I've got to be honest. The uh, the night we recorded the tour to cure special last week, you um you sounded like you were ready for nine nine as well, and truly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, there are those nights, and, and the interesting thing on tour is that your morning call for mm. Brecky is normally around sort of five to five thirty, and. You, by then you've got to have your bag packed to dump into the, into the truck. Yeah. Your bike's to be ready to go. You go down, you essentially have an hour, a half an hour, three quarters an hour to have your breakfast and do any final preps. And then you're on your bike and the Pelotons mm. are rolling out. We had some days five Pelotons of 50, 40 to 50 riders. Yeah. Pelotons are leaving every 10 minutes. Mm. And you essentially ride then to a, a morning tea where the Victoria coffee van is waiting to service some 200, 200 people with brew,
1: yeah,
2: uh, you get 15 minutes, you neck a banana, you have your coffee with some coconut oil, and then you ride to lunch. Yeah, and then right. you get to lunch, you've essentially got a half an hour or 40 minutes to enjoy the beautiful Canadian kitchen's meal. We spoke to Chef Chris mm. and the boys. You have your lunch, you're back on your bike, you ride to afternoon tea. And if you're doing a 220-kilometre day, you, you're actually, you're at it from, you know, 4.30, quarter 4.00 to five in the morning, you're at it until the minute you pull up. And sometimes we finish in the dark if you had a lot of, you know, flats or a mountain stage or something. Yeah. And then you get there, you find your hotel, you dump yourself, you set up your room for the next day, you have a shower, you're straight to dinner. Some of our dinners had 400 guests at them. I mean, the one in Armadale was a huge dinner, big stage. So the reason I'm telling you that is you, you actually don't get a lot of downtime to rest. And for the 10 days, you're really at it. You're really going. So, um, when it comes to 9 o'clock at night, you are ready to crouch out to get ready for next day because you need your sleep. So um, yeah, and some of those nights I was a tad weary.
0: Yes, I don't doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you rub shoulders with um a few a few famous people, but none more so than um Drew Ginn, the Olympic rower. Yeah, Robbo,
2: the most impressive sports personality, I think bar none that I've ever met and spent time with. He is the most down to earth guy. You spend 10 minutes with him and you feel as though you've known him all your life.
0: Mm. You know me and you know that, you know, I take notes during our interviews and all that sort of stuff normally when we're, as we're recording them. Um, can I tell you, I was actually scribbling notes on a piece of paper next to me as I was editing that piece that you sent me. (laughs) Mm. Because he was just awesome. Remember he talked about um, does it make the boat go faster? Mm.
2: That was a great piece. And I must say, from the minute we spoke on that street corner in the dark that night, Mm. when we recorded it, the thing, the primary thing in my mind has been from that point till today is will it help us cure cancer? And I think- will it make the boat go faster eliminates all the crap and gets mm. down to mm. what's absolutely important and mm. that's what's been consuming my mind now with as we plan for future generations of the tour to cure is will this help us cure cancer if it won't get rid of it if it will then let's get at it
0: well you you break it down a bit further and, and unfortunately it had to hit the cutting room floor because i was you know cutting for time but um you posed the question in a different sense in terms of family. Do you want to mm. fill us in on that?
2: Well, Drew was such an interesting dude because he, he is an Olympian, but he's also a corporate speaker. And I just find him one of the most thoughtful, thought-provoking sportsmen that we've had the pleasure of interviewing on the show. And he's very family oriented He's very passionate about his family. But what I like about Drew is he takes his Olympic thinking... He can apply it to everyday life. And then he takes that and applies it to his own personal life, particularly his children and his relationship. And I posed the question to him to say, let's take the question, will it make the boat go faster? How would you reframe that? And what would the question be if you're referring to your own children and your family? Here's what he said.
3: Two weeks ago, I found I was on the bike most of our good thinking happens <laughs> with, uh, yeah, with coffee, very <laughs> helpful people wonder why men are getting when, when are we getting around in the Lycra it's like hey look we're having great ideas out here um, I had the bizarre thought I think I would just done some laps of Old Park Lake in Melbourne for those that would know and um, I was just riding back up the hill to um, Barclay Street and we're just down Barclay Street and all of a sudden I went what do we want for our kids mm. and I got home and I said to my wife and and uh, to understand the sensitivity is I think sometimes when one parent sort of has a bit of a brainwave about something with the kids and sort of comes in, the other one just sort of goes, why are you saying that? What do you mean? What's going on? Mm. And I was just like, what do we actually want for our kids? Yeah, you know, And I thought to myself, my daughter's 15, my son's 11, we love them, we've done everything we can, but I've never really stopped and thought, what do we really want for them? Mm. You know, and, and what does, say, as a parent, what does success look like for them? Mm. And, and I've always been a big one, and my wife talked about it, we've talked about it a lot, is. Whatever makes them happy will make us happy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a guiding aspect, which is, well, what do we really want for them? Not the activity, not the the, the, the content of what they do. But I suppose the context of what they do. And so I sort of said to Mel, I said, yeah, you know, what do we really want for them? Like, what is it? What does it look like? Like, are we pushing them enough? Are we supporting them enough? Are we nurturing them enough? Are we giving them enough? Are we holding back enough? And so for me, it's probably been one thing that when we were young parents. Like, have we thought about it or discussed it enough? Because mm. you don't have to do anything. Just by even having the discussion of being a bit more aware, all of a sudden you change some of the things mm. that are happening. Mm. But we, I remember my daughter picked up the idea when I said to her years ago something about, I'm talking about your behaviour, not you. And I remember trying to explain it to her and didn't really think she got it and then i remember being upset at my son one day because he wouldn't come upstairs and put him to bed and then always my daughter goes but jasper dad still loves you he's just talking about what you're doing It's frustrating oh, with your behavior and i went yeah. and now she was i think seven at the time so he would have been three he wouldn't have got that yeah. but i thought actually if we don't pay attention to the yeah. things we're doing we can set them on certain courses that we don't even realize so mm. for me as an athlete i try to pay a lot more attention but as a parent i sort of thought oh well, if you feel like you're doing the right thing, The good thing, maybe that's going to be enough. But you know, we're now starting to get to a stage where we're starting to ask those sort of questions as to you know, what does it really look like for them? What does the world look like for them? I, I think suppose it's really powerful. There. Yeah, yeah.
0: So um, I, I just had to get that back in there this week because it was <laughs> it was one of those moments of angst, whether to cut it or not, and obviously something had to go. But um, I reckon that uh, that certainly deserves a run. Well,
2: he, I, I, I'm glad you put it back in because it was it was quite a profound moment, and we. We spoke after we finished the interview, um, Drew and I walked for a while and we spoke for maybe an hour afterwards and eventually we said we have to get to sleep. <laughs> um, but we are going to get him back on the show in a couple of weeks' time because he is going to have another crack at the 24-hour world record.
1: Yeah,
2: um, he is an extraordinary, extraordinary guy and he's got a lot more stuff. We talked about performance and how emotions play into it, how to control emotions. So um, we'll get him back in the studio proper. Mm. And go through it. But that is a really nice piece. And he was very, very serious when he when he posed that question to his wife and they realized that was the most important thing. And it now becomes his primary question to their for the kids and family. Mm.
0: Nice one, isn't it? The Mojo Radio Show. So talking of Getting people back in the studio, we've done it again.
2: Well, we have. And the reason this came about is, uh, you remember a few shows ago, you spoke about you were getting back on the tools again to build uh, a little uh, sponsorship box for the footy club?
0: Yeah, well, I've gone one step further than that. Now I'm actually building a whole new recording studio. (laughs) (laughs) I've been inspired. I'm building a new desk and a new rack for my gear and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. Very
2: nice. (laughs) Well, what I've been pondering... Mm. And when I'm on the speaking circuit talking to people about innovation and creativity and how to unlock great ideas, one of the things I always pose to people is say, whatever happened to hobbies? Like mm, mm. when, when you're a kid growing up, you get stacks of hobbies. But as we get older, hobbies get pushed aside and we always seem to have this other stuff to do. Yep. And we know that when you exercise your brain away from work, it helps give you a better more creative brain at work. Because away from work, when you're doing all these hobbies like building a new studio desk and stuff with, with the wood on the tools, you're exercising your creative spirit and that creative spirit can then f- go across to when you're producing a piece of work or you're doing an edit or whatever your chosen profession might be. Mm. So the whole hobby thing got me thinking that we we have lost our, our nature of hobbies. We don't play guitar or produce or, take great photos and edit them and play with them anymore. So uh, i got an old mate of ours who I think is one of our highest rating shows and certainly the most funnerest. You remember Nicola?
0: (laughs) Oh, how could I forget Nicola? She's awesome.
2: She is a great buddy of the show. We loved having Nicola on the show and obviously the listeners around the world loved her as well because it's one of our biggest downloaded shows of all time. Mm. Uh, But we've got her on the line. Uh, Nicola Newman, welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show. Oh,
4: it's such a pleasure to be here, Ro and Gary. It's really a delight.
0: (laughs) I've been looking forward to this.
2: It is. It's great to have you back because you're a mate. And your first time around, which was way, way back in the early stages of the Mojo Radio show, we had a great chat. We had a lot of fun, but it rated really well and we had lovely feedback from it. So we've been looking forward to having you back on the show. And this time around, we kind of wanted to focus on the subject of hobbies because I don't hear people talking about hobbies, what goes with hobbies, how mm. they can be beneficial and how that relates back to creativity and innovation. So mm. we're delighted to have you here. I thought just to start us off, we should probably introduce you to the people who may not have heard the first episode. Can you just give us a quick rundown on you, the work you're doing today and who you're likely to be doing it with?
4: Mm, absolutely. So the work that I'm doing today is uh, sort of two-pronged I suppose you could say. So in one sense I'm continuing on with my career as a professional fine artist and exhibiting in galleries uh, in Australia and internationally and then in addition to that since we spoke last I've branched out and started teaching online programs as well as in and retreats where people can come to my studio and actually dive into painting and creativity for themselves. Is the online
2: painting course, is that something pretty unique? I mean, I I have never heard anybody sort of talk about the fact they have an online Hmm. painting course. What does that (laughs) constitute? I'm just curious to know, how does that work?
4: Sure. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because last time we were speaking, I, I was... Uh, focusing more on teaching organic gardening in my online
1: courses yeah.
4: and <laughs> it was it was a roundabout way to come to teaching uh, painting in o- online courses but funnily enough when I first came across the, the world of online learning I just didn't have a grasp of how you could teach something so practical and something sort of so esoteric as painting online and it was mm. through doing the process of teaching people to garden and breaking down the fo- the steps that go into, you know, building soil and composting and planting seedlings that I realised you could teach a very practical thing such as gardening using the medium of video and uh, and taking people through a real process of discovery, learning about their materials, learning about um, we dive into how important it is to play and to play with your materials and to play with things that you love and looking at what play is and what play isn't. Um, Because I think sometimes we have that a little bit skewed in our concept as adults, that it's always Mm. going to be fun and it's always lighthearted, but play can be actually quite challenging. So we break it down and then we look at things like um, the practicalities of actually painting with acrylic paints, painting with oil paints, which a lot of people have never tried, but once they start to dive in, they fall in love with because they're so luscious. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and we moved right through to, um, to learning about how to find your own inspiration and really start to develop your own style and pursue your hobby or your passion with, with something that's authentic and individual to you so that it can be sustainable over the longer term, if that's something that lights you
2: up. So when you're coaching people, say, on painting and you are helping them get into art, Mm-hmm. and they start the process and they start to interact with you either face-to-face in your studio or doing it online. What, when people start to develop this hobby and this, this interest in art and they start to, to do it, what, what do you notice happens? Like what, what are your observations mm-hmm. that are nice outcomes of people going down this track? So
4: we have different people that come along who might already be creative in one area of perhaps for their career. So they might be writers. Right through do we have um, coaches. We have uh, people who might come from a graphic design background, but they have been working for clients so long that they've lost touch with that um, time for themselves to just explore things and play with paint for their own pleasure and fun. Yeah. And what I've noticed is whether people have got experience painting and they're coming back to it after having a, a sabbatical for for um, use of that word um, or perhaps they're complete beginners and we actually have quite a lot of complete beginners people who have painted since they were at school they experience this sense of freedom that that is quite difficult to really I think achieve as an adult in a very structured life that we tend to all live, you know, where you have to go and pay the bills, you have to take care of children, you might, you know, you have to stay within the lines when you're driving, everything's structured and set out. Whereas once you start picking up a paintbrush, it's so uh, limitless, you know, you can, you can do whatever you like.
2: I remember reading a story about Sir Anthony Hopkins who is a famous Academy Award-winning actor from Silence of the Lambs, etc. And he became a very successful artist. And the thing he said was that what freed him up to be a great artist was he didn't care what anybody thought because it was just for him it was a hobby and he painted for himself and not to impress anybody else. And in his words, he was staggered that people actually liked his art, but he didn't care because if no one liked it, he was just painting for himself. And it's just is interesting that that's an example of someone who took on art, but did it for themselves and was able to explore and look for whatever turned them on. But in the end, it actually... Yeah, it became very successful because people actually loved his stuff and he never turned out to do that. Is that something you see happening with people, Nicola?
4: Well, um, following the Hollywood bent, I was watching um, Seinfeld. Seinfeld has this wonderful new show, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, on Crackle, um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Yes. I
0: love it. It's sounds like us, It does definitely like <laughs> us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and
4: he um, he went and hung out with Jim Kerry and uh, and Jim, you know, they went for this drive in a cool car and and then at the end it ends in Jim Kerry's uh, painting studio where he does these amazing kind of pop art, really brightly coloured, huge massive canvases and Mm -hmm. it's such a surprise to see him doing that and he said the same thing that you were saying you know he just loves that sense of freedom and you can see he totally lights him up and it brings out that inner child that um is so evident in his acting as well so so i do see that as well in ordinary people um non-hollywood actors and some of our students um actually might Say so they come from a a rural property in in Western Australia, and they're surrounded by cows and heavy work yeah. and a lot of um, manual sort of labour. And then they can go into their shed, which they've turned into a studio, and really explore things in a way that it, it nourishes their soul. You know, um, and they often it's just delighting how much they enjoy squirrelling themselves away in their own private space and being able to play. And I think that that, um, it really starts to overflow into your work, talking about hobbies, that it um, there's been quite a lot of research done that even a small amount of play in your week it doesn't even have to be every day but even just in your week will reignite and reinfuse your day-to-day activities with more passion and more colour and more life so uh, it's
2: lovely to see. In your mind what constitutes a hobby? Like I'm curious we I mean, strip it right back because some people would say oh that's just play it's just what what do you think in your mind, in your experience, what do you think constitutes a hobby?
4: For me, I, it's a good question. I was thinking about that leading up to our chat today and I guess the the common definition of a hobby would be that it needs to be removed from any kind of uh, financial gain, I suppose, So, it, or it needs to be um, done without the purpose of making a living. So... It could be, I know my husband, he loves building model ships and finds that incredibly relaxing. And it's really just about being able to step away from your day-to-day and give your mind a break. It it can be a form of relaxation. It can be a form of meditation. Um, For me, even though gardening, it was part of my business, gardening is what I would regard as my hobby. So, how about, yeah, yeah. So,
0: do you think the other part of that description could probably be that it also needs to be done with love? Because there are a lot of things we don't do for money that we still have to do. Mm, But for me to be a hobby, you'd still have to love doing it, wouldn't you?
1: Oh,
4: yes, that makes so much sense. Um, And I think to love doing something that does come with giving yourself permission to enjoy it, permission to not have it be perfect, mm. um, all those things that kind of crowd out enjoyment sometimes.
1: Yeah, a lot mm. of and the being time. Present
4: <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah, and very much being present with what you're doing, mm. um, not worrying about the outcome, racing ahead going, this is crap, this is not going to work out, what's the point? Instead just coming back and being in that moment and enjoying what it is
2: you're yeah. doing. It's interesting Nicola when I'm speaking with audiences on creativity and innovation I talk about this that we don't seem to have hobbies anymore and it's really interesting you see people going for their journals or their notepads to write down action plan you know get back to <laughs> hobby and I just find it a bit curious that people don't have it because when we're growing up as kids I mean I've read through your stuff when you're a kid you I think it was your grandmother always had these boxes full of curious bits and pieces and you would create as a child and we all had a version of that in some way or another Mm -hmm. with the experience of people you're working with in your online courses and in your studio those you interact with through your blog and so on why do you think we don't have these hobbies anymore what's what's stopping us from going back and exploring something with simply love and passion Hmm. to help ignite our creative spirit like why do you what's getting in the way today
4: think it's a really big question and a really good question one definitely worth exploring and I guess it's it's probably multi-layered um there's the obvious ones of pressure of getting ahead and I think that the the way that our society is largely built with the media that we consume and the way that we see other people living on television or whatnot it needs to be you know it's it, it you don't see it represented that people are Pursuing hobbies, and I think it can easily get pushed aside as being frivolous, um, and an overwhelming sense of busyness that we have uh, pervading our our day to day tempo. And how can you have time to find um, the pleasure of sitting down with a cup of tea and doing a jigsaw puzzle if that's what you love? Or, or, but it's interesting because I do think it's becoming more part of people's consciousness and that's probably the main thing is just uh, and the work you're doing Gary it's great talking to people and letting them remember oh yeah that's right it's fun <laughs> to have a hobby because I think we just forget sometimes
1: yeah
4: and, yeah um I know reading Arianna Huffington's book Thrive she talks about the value of rest and um and it, I think she took goes into the importance of having downtime as well. And certainly Brene Brown, she's very big on carving out time to play and including creativity in your um, in your routines. And for her, she, she has these great quotes where you know she talks about the idea of being creative just gave her palpitations because she was already so busy. And the idea of trying to fit something more into her to-do list seems absurd. But having experienced it and tasted it um, and seen how it affects her relationships with their children and being more relaxed and and even in her work life she's changed her priorities and, and putting a lot more emphasis on making sure to do that, whether it's – and I like how she does simple things too, editing, editing photographs or movies that she's made and it doesn't have to all be – the fine art base that we can sometimes think of with painting and drawing, and um, it can be using the multi the, the digital age that we live in as well, and, cre- and treating that as something that's creative.
2: I think it's a really good point, and I, and I, I think it's it's imp- it's, a, it's really important for people not to think that um, the digital age or social media is stealing our creativity or our hobbies away. Because I look at I did a photo shoot with a young creative just recently and the inspiration for the photos she took came from Pinterest and she built mm-hmm. a number of Pinterest boards. Mm-hmm. And Rob and I did a show recently and one of the news stories we brought up was a, a young girl who had said that she found that Instagram was a chance for her to become the model she always wanted to come mm-hmm. become mm-hmm. Uh, only because she was five foot nothing. Mm -hmm. and uh she could get a photo edit it color it tweak it do all these things to it so i (laughs) guess in a way that also could be considered as a hobby isn't it because you're you could be out there with your iphone taking beautiful photos Mm. and or building beautiful boards to share but it's in the thinking and the collating would you agree Mm -hmm. with that do you think that social can actually be a tool for a hobby
4: absolutely and i I was just saying that to my husband, Andrew, the other day. We, we had been to the National Gallery in Canberra and he'd Taken some photographs inside the space, and he was like, "You know, oh, I'm a bit sick of Instagram. Nobody ever likes my stuff." <laughs> and yeah, he, he's posted like, <laughs> not,
2: "Yeah, join the post, club, buddy."
4: Yeah, yeah, He's posted like nine photos in two years, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, "Sweetheart, why don't you just do it for yourself? Forget about the likes and just use it like a personal yeah, archive nice, of, nice. of your own, um, yeah, your own journey and moments." And he's he started doing that, and all of a sudden, um, he's really enjoying Instagram because he looks at it and it's become his collection of moments and he's editing the photos exactly what you're saying there uh as a creative outlet and I think it's it's the intention that we bring to whatever it is that we're doing that we can make it into a creative act so you can actually wash the dishes and have it be a creative act you can do anything and I think it's when you bring presence to it and some sort of awareness that it it, um can be it's not about the medium itself It's about the way that you approach something. That's what I believe. Hmm.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I uh, I hear you talking about your husband, and I, and I think about a, a mate of mine whose wife is a fantastic photographer. She takes the best photos that I've seen from a non professional, and mm-hmm. I always encourage her to do something with her photography. Every time I see, her, oh how, you know, how's your photography going? You know, I saw the thing you posted on Facebook the other day, blah, blah, blah. and it and the self doubt that mm. comes it back to me in her response each time is is staggering. And I think if only she had had the confidence to do something, you know, and and just to get a couple of comments from people that she doesn't know, like Mm. on Instagram or something, that confidence would then snowball into something where she could actually turn around and and with confidence post that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it it seems such a shame to me that she doesn't do anything. And and self-confidence is such a big thing sometimes, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's
4: a huge thing. And, and it's interesting you say that too. I've been watching an artist on Instagram who she's really used it as a way to discover her own voice and you, and I was, I really like her work. So I looked, scrolled right back to years ago when she first started and you can see the way that she's posting and the way that she's um, mm. exploring her work. She she was lacking in that confidence somewhat. Mm. Um, and she was still exploring things and she was working it out for herself and you see this evolution over time and now she's got 71,000 followers. It's amazing. Um but I think it can be used as a tool to uh, get some feedback and get some get some confidence under your belt. But I think you need to be aware of how you're approaching that, so that you protect yourself and you do look after your own inner inner, inner child artist. Mm, mm. So, yeah, so that you don't because you don't want to put yourself into something that then scorches you, you know, before sure. you're ready. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I think there's and an I, important thing with that. I think, you know, the, the people with hobbies, a lot of people don't start mm-hmm. because they're worried about what other people will think. And I think back to your husband, Andrew, and saying, well, don't post something for the likes. Post mm. it because it's your personal gallery and it's your place mm. to take photos, tweet them, explore, but it's your personal gallery. so." I'd be careful with, with talking to people and encouraging them to post stuff because some a, mm-hmm. a hobby doesn't have to be shown to others. A, the idea exactly. of a hobby mm-hmm. is just to ignite your own creative spirit, to see what's possible, to stretch your mind. And we know that a mind once stretched will never resume its original shape. So when you're doing all these things, you're making yourself better in the mind and your spirit and your creativity, innovation. I think the important thing today for people with, with the reason that one of the reasons they don't take up hobbies is because they don't want to show it and they're worried about what other people will think. And That's right. I think it's a classic example of Robbo's friend and we probably shouldn't push them into it if it's not, they're not comfortable with it. Yeah. yeah. And there's probably a point where they could be very successful, they may not want to. And then That's Andrew's right. point of it, well, don't do it for likes, do it because it's, it's kind of what you like, it's just your thing. And mm. I think the Sir Anthony Hopkins story illustrates the fact that when you take that pressure away, you can do your best work.
4: Absolutely. And I think actually if you're looking at things with an eye too much to what other people are thinking, even as a professional artist, it'll, it it quickly saps that creative energy and, and um, I think the best art comes from a personal inquiry about something that you're genuinely interested in um, because that puts you into the present moment because you are looking at what's happening before you rather than always looking that few steps ahead going, I wonder what people's response is going to be to this. Mm. Um,
0: the the thing I always come back to with art and the thing that's always stuck with me is I saw Ken Doan talking about his art once and he talks mm. about how it's not necessarily a reflection of what he sees, it's a feeling about what he saw. Mm. Like mm. he was pointing at, a, at a, a painting of Sydney Harbour and the water was purple and the sky was <laughs> green or some other colour. And, and he said, you know, it's, it, it's not about that. It's just about the feeling of what I saw and, and the purple was supposed to be the storm clouds reflected in the ocean or something like that. And it was, it was really very clever. And, but, and, but it occurred to me that at the time that if he had have worried about the ocean being blue, mm-hmm. whatever, he would have never have put himself out there in the first place. It was just that confidence to take that first step.
4: That's right, yeah, yeah, and doing something because it lights you up and Tim yeah. Bones is a great example because he totally is in love with his practice from what I can tell and over mm-hmm. a long period of time um, is very exuberant and has kept that spark alive inside his, his, his heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm.
2: Nicola, I heard a lovely story about a guy who went to a school and he walked into the kindergarten class and said to the class, how many artists do we have in the class? And every child's hand went up. So then he went to the year fours and said, how many artists do we have in this class? And half the hands went up. When he got to year nine or year 10 and he walked in and said, how many artists do we have? One or two went up. Mm-hmm. And his point was that when we were in kindy in a child, we were all artists. We just, we just did stuff because we were just exploring, we were learning. We were just doing stuff. We didn't have to worry about judgment or people liking it. or We just did it. And of course, Mm -hmm. because we're children, everyone gushes over you. But Mm -hmm. as we get older, surely one of the biggest things that's getting in our way of even starting a hobby or embracing a hobby is Mm self-judgment. Do you find with your career coaching people, either in the studio or in the online course or people you meet uh, out and about, self-judgment must be one of the greatest hurdles for you to help them get over, for them to explore their own possibilities in creativity.
4: Absolutely. So um, both of these points you guys have raised, uh, what we kind of focus on for the first few modules and um, one being the first module is studio and we help people set up a studio space where they feel safe to create and part of that means choosing whether or not you want to keep the door closed. You know, you don't have to show it to anyone and really creating that safe container where it's okay to play and it's just for yourself. And then the other huge part of the course really that um, I see the course as performing is it's actually a course in self-kindness and being kind to yourself, taking care of yourself, um, speaking speaking kindly to yourself and if you hear those judgments rising up in your mind it's it's a it's a process of mindfulness and observing it and then putting your attention back on to your five senses what can you see what can you feel what can you hear and coming back into that present moment because um otherwise if you just tune into the voice in your head and and believe what it's saying which it will tell you all kinds of things because it, it's trying to protect you from what it fears is certain impeding doom you know that people are not going to like your stuff if you tune into that and believe what it's trying to do to protect you then you'll definitely clam up and put the sketchbook away in the drawer and not take it out again for another 10 years you know more um so a huge part of it definitely is practicing self-love and speaking kindly to yourself and if you find that you're not being kind to yourself don't beat yourself up that you're not being kind to yourself just recognize it drop it and come back into the moment it's really nice it's with
2: hobbies, regardless of what it is, whether it's gardening or Robbo is very big on his woodwork or it's photography or it's Pinterest boards, whatever it may be, uh, what advice have you got for people in order for them to keep it going? Because I know there are people who will listen to this podcast, race out, buy a couple of model aeroplanes, start and get halfway through it and then it'll finish. You'll end up unfinished, sitting in the box in the corner with every intention to get back to it, but the the world gets in the way. From your experience with talking to people through hobbies and the world of art and painting, do you have any advice on how to keep it going or how to make it part of our day or week? Mm,
4: yeah. So um, it's funny you say that about the half-finished um, project because uh, Andrew and I were talking about this thinking about this podcast yesterday and he said how when he was making the model boats it came with a, a lovely little dvd that was like a training dvd of how to use the lathe and get things so that they were all you have to actually make the mast and do all this really intricate work and the gentleman an older gentleman who's teaching the dvd he says make sure that you're enjoying it and if you're not enjoying it uh put it down and come back it's meant to be it's meant to be a way for you to unwind so Andrew was sort of saying sometimes it's okay to put things down and come back to it later or if you find that you genuinely are done with it you can it's okay to leave the project half done as well it's a hobby it doesn't really matter you know like we've got half finished boats on our mantelpiece but they're lovely and um the thing but then of course you want to have um you want to have a spark in you that that's the thing that you want to sustain I think rather than a particular mode or outlet it doesn't have to be material specific um and for me as a an artist I've, I've now been existing since I was 18, 18 19 which is 15 years ago and in that time,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, who's, count- who's counting?
4: <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> well, it might not be. Who knows? It might have been ten. Um,
2: might have been ten or nine, actually. Oh
4: <laughs> look, yes, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had periods of time when, you know, I put the paintbrushes down and I picked up a camera and I made video art, or I, um, you know, just put down everything and went travelling and, and kept a journal. And I think, so I think, in some ways it's also important to honour the rhythms of your creativity and your interests and follow that, those sparks of creativity, or sorry, sparks of curiosity and see where they lead you um, because it can bring you back with more richness into your hobby or into your work. And But I think that that's also perhaps a little bit personality-based and I'm a fairly multi-passionate sort of person, I suppose. And I can't speak for other people who, you know, they do go into the studio every day and they paint every day. But for me, that would be, you know, creative death. I really wouldn't enjoy it. (laughs) It's
2: Um, such an interesting point, Nicola, because I I remember going to, I think it was Florence mm -hmm. and seeing the work that Michelangelo did and the majority of his work was unfinished. And the story that went with that was that he intentionally left it unfinished so that the person enjoying the piece of sculpture or the art could finish it in their own mind. Mm. And it was left undone so that we could use our imagination to say, here's what it would have looked like. And then I remember hearing a, uh, a podcast or reading somewhere about, I think it was Hemingway. The famous writer, and he would never finish a sentence or a chapter at night
1: mm-hmm. because
2: he always wanted it left undone, so his subconscious mind could work overnight. and He could pick it up next morning, and it, it was an, it was almost a, um, it was almost an attraction for him to go <laughs> back to it next morning because it wasn't finished. So, I I actually think that's gold. The fact that sometimes you're just not in that vibe. Uh, mm. And you'd leave that and then maybe pick up on something else that interests you.
0: I, I, I really lied, mm. never thought of that before. It's a good point. It must have taken Hemingway a long time to write a book if he only wrote a sentence at a time. <laughs> I think he went all right, Robert.
2: <laughs> in the writing stakes, I reckon he did well.
0: He did all right, just a sentence at a time, though, a sentence a day. <laughs> you don't want to rush these things, mate. You don't want to drink
2: your whole stubby in one gulp, buddy.
1: <laughs> Too funny. <laughs>
2: and. For the the business folk listening, um, a couple of things that uh, has occurred to me since uh, we started recording, Nicola, is I heard, uh, I did a speaking job with Ralph Norris, who was the former CEO of one of Australia's biggest banks, the Commonwealth Bank, super successful. Mm -hmm. And he had two rules in life. He said the first rule was always take your holidays. Mm. And the second rule was always have something outside of work to go to. Which yeah. goes back to a point you were making earlier. And I I'd be curious for your view on this, but I remember reading Sumner Redstone's book and he owned the biggest entertainment conglomerate in the world, like the biggest studios and MTV and Nickelodeon, all the television channels. And one of the points he made was everybody he met was creative in more than one way. And he talked <laughs> about Tony Bennett, the famous crooner, who was also mm. a great artist. And I guess for Robbo and I, we think about people like Michael Stipe, you know, from R.E.M., who's also a photographer, or like the designer Carl Lagerfeld, who is a brilliant fashion designer, but very big on photography. Do you find that when people pick up a hobby, the outcome is that they start to enjoy their hobby, but also makes a difference in their creativity in the work environment or another environment away from their actual hobbies?
4: Yeah, very much so. So, um... One of our clients who came for a retreat, she actually helps to design big high-end stalls for large organisations for trade fairs. And that's her role is to look after these massive projects. And for her, coming along and doing some painting really helps her to free up and, you know, spark those creative ideas because you need to Mm. be able to draw from something. And if your well's dry and if you're resenting your work or you're feeling like you're... Starving yourself of something for your own person, personal satisfaction, and I think that it definitely spills over into your client—you know, the work you're doing for clients, or or um, whatever it is that your your work life entails, whether it's with clients or producing a product. Um, so definitely, and I, I've found for me personally, I have a lot of different interests, and and I in my uh, young years younger years (laughs) not not that I'm old now but younger years um I had a lot of different jobs and Andrew's had something like 35 different jobs it's an extraordinary amount but that range of experience and that range of skills that you develop I find they always overlay in really funny and interesting ways that you can't predict so I don't think that anything's wasted or anything's lost
2: there's actual science behind this isn't there um Nicola, if you, because I I remember speaking to a lady and she ran art classes in Sydney here in Australia and she would take groups of executives off-site and they would have an afternoon of painting. So I'm not sure what paints they use. are going to be finger painting or brushes. But the idea was just get out, there's your canvas, go your hardest, do what you want. No one's going to judge you. Just splash some stuff and make it colourful. And the one thing she said was that science has shown that that was a way for executives to exercise the right part of their brain, the the visual, imaginative, creative part of our brain, because the majority of their work during the day was based on the analytical systems, processes driven part of the brain being the left-hand side of the brain. Have you found that this is a way to ignite that right side of the brain and have you sort of explored the science behind how it works in our minds?
4: I guess I haven't personally because I have always been such a visual person and it's been such a huge part of my life um, personally, but I can understand and uh back up that it must be true because I was hired by the Brisbane City Council to come and run workshops very similarly for their staff yeah. and they did, you know, very computer-based work that was, I had no idea what they had to do actually, but they we all went up onto the <laughs> rooftop <laughs> and we got some paints out and they had a ball and they paid me for it. So the council must see some value <laughs> in, in, in paying their staff to do that, paying for their staff to do that. Um yeah, and I guess it's, it's an excellent form of relaxation if nothing. I mean, it must be sparking neurons as well that are visual and getting those synapses working in the brain.
2: No, my, my belief is there is a lot of research to show that, is that particularly people who are in very analytical roles need to have something that draws them across to the other side of the brain. And what we're essentially looking for is whole brain thinking, where you have access, like your friend who is the designer, you need to be able to have access to your creative spirit, the right part of your brain. But sometimes the work you're doing is very analytical, which means you need the left part of your brain. But when mm. you have both parts being exercised, then you have strength in numbers. You have both sides of the brain to draw upon. But most people's lives are very you know, shallow work, very responsive work, very analytical work, very email mm. driven. Mm. We just don't take the time to step back and take this time to explore our possibilities and create it. You must see that in people, the, the sheer enjoyment they get from just getting on a canvas and going, you know what, I've got nothing else to do except <laughs> express myself. Just I was going to paint, that's it.
1: Mm,
4: absolutely, and I think... Um people create a sort of container where it becomes okay to do that and in some ways paying for a class or a workshop or putting some time into your diary where you go and attend an in-person retreat or something um, means that in your mind it goes okay now's the time to be creative it's okay because it it can be very self it has to be very self-directed to take that time whereas I liked what you're saying there about email-driven because I find myself sometimes being email-driven in my day and you're just waiting for the next thing, you know, that you have to respond to. But actually consciously choosing to make that space to go and do something that seems on the face of it purposeless, um, it can can be quite scary and easy to push aside. In your
2: work, Nicola, have you heard stories? Uh, One thing I'm always curious about is that, uh, a mum or a dad is the absolute superhero to their child. Mm. So their kid, the kid wants to be like mum and dad. And when we are always with our face to a computer, it be a phone or an iPad or a computer, or always talking on the phone, we're sending a signal to our children. Yet when you hear the people that we admire most creatively They always had a parent or a grandparent that inspired them through a hobby of cooking or gardening or painting or photography or tinkering with cars or woodwork. Mm. In your experience working with lots of different people and introducing them to their hobby or the arts, do you find that, that the parent goes in there with one agenda item, the outs the other side of that is that they end up going home and inspiring their children and their family to <laughs> be more creative. Does that
4: does that happen? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the really lovely things that we get to hear about is, you know, the Absolute passion that the adults who have taken the course, the online course, for example, then inspire in the kids, or they want to go and teach at their local school and they want to spread that with the young people around them. And I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful outcome. Um, I had a, a great uncle who used to play with steam powered. Trains, And I was just fascinated by this great uncle. I was like, you're amazing, you know. (laughs) He was so eccentric and he that actually set up like a little track around their front yard, not backyard, front yard, so all the neighbours could see and he would ride around on his little model steam train and had his garage converted into a mechanics shop, you know. It was wonderful. That's
2: so cool. (laughs) Now, we have found you. You're normally a Queenslander. But yes. We have found you somewhere in Victoria. You're on a road trip. Tell us about that.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, funnily enough, um, we love taking road trips, but it's been we've been busy creating the new online course and running retreats. It, it turned out to be about a year since we set off, maybe more actually, set off for an extended road trip. And initially, we were just going to go from our home on the Sunshine Coast down to Byron Bay. We'd been invited to. Um, arts new arts magazine launched down there and we're like okay that'll be great that'll be a fun Friday night out it'll get us out of the house (laughs) and we we packed you know a few shirts a couple of pairs of shoes brought our lovely little dog Lacey Jane with us and um honestly just expected to be away oh I also had to drop off some paintings to a gallery and we had thought that we were going to pick up a painting as well but as it turned out She wanted to keep all my paintings and so all of a sudden the back area of our van, we have a a Toyota Hi-Ace van that we've converted into a a studio slash apartment on wheels. And the the back area, which is a queen-size bed, was no longer going to be covered by a two-by-one-metre painting. And we were like, well, hang on, that means that we're free agents. We could carry on. Driving if we like. And um the Sydney Biennale is on at the moment, which is a very large um international art show that comes to Sydney every two years. And it's uh it's really interesting. They show artwork on Cockatoo Island in the middle of the harbour and around the Museum of Contemporary Art and all these different places. And it's really worth going down to experience. And I wanted to show Andrew. So we're like, okay, let's Keep going, and we got to Sydney, and we went to the Biennale, and we pulled up at Rushcutters Bay, and slept in our van, and <laughs> had a wonderful oh. time. And then, and then, and then we're like, well, uh, let's go to Canberra. We'll go to the National Gallery. So we went to Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: then,
4: um, Andrew's mum's recently moved down into a country town in, in Victoria, and she's like, come and visit me. So <laughs> okay, so we went to visit Melody, and then, um, and then we were so close to Melbourne where I have some family and another galleryist that we, we wanted to catch up with in person. So we carried on and we're now in Fitzroy. I'm sitting talking <laughs> to you in the back of the van um, oh. <laughs> in Fitzroy and uh, I think we're going to do the Great Ocean Road next. What a life.
2: So, <laughs> do you know but this, is in, this is interesting, Robert, because this, this is what's happening now and I'll, we're going to segue away from hobbies. Uh, but this is what's happening now because this is, there are a number of trends that are happening now with people who are in the position that you know uh, Nicola and Andrew are into, but digital nomads is a big trend where people can basically sit in the back of a van and hook up and do work and be productive but in a better environment than just sitting locked to a computer in an office. Uh, number two is the tiny home living where people are hooking up and living now in RVs or Toyota Hiluxes or, in fact, through Airbnb. So it's really interesting, Nicola. This is is a classic example of how the world of... Creativity, innovation—how that spins into lifestyle and business is changing. So, it's a really good story, and I think uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of this lifestyle change happening in the future.
4: And it's really nice because for me, I find it so important to have a diversity of environments to be in and and a whole wealth of visual experiences, like a lot of people do. And we actually had quite a lot of internet and, and business, uh, online computer work that we had to get done. So instead of being sort of s- squirreled away at home, which is lovely, but we were ready to have a change of scene, we yeah. ended up spending about oh, four days in the library at Port Macquarie and finishing off my art website and doing a whole lot of things that just <laughs> felt very hard to do at home and all of a sudden was fun to do in another environment, you know?
2: I reckon, I reckon by the time we talk to you next, Robbo's going to have a Navara Ute.
0: <laughs> with the studio on the back,
2: full panel, bar yeah. fridge in the corner,
0: yeah, candy
2: bar in the other corner. Yeah, you've got yeah. the
0: trailer with the Tim Tams.
2: <laughs> I, I, that's a fact. I've got an idea. I just want mm-hmm. to share this with you because I want mm. Nicola's view on it. You know how Nicola just said that Seinfeld had a show, was it called Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee?
1: Yeah, getting coffee. yeah, yep. Yeah.
2: I reckon you and I could do a YouTube series called "Yobos in Youth Drinking Beers. And eating Tim Tams. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> <laughs> beers and Tim Tams is the breakfast of champions. It is. I,
0: I'm just saying. Right, I'm go off. I'm with you. I reckon they go off. Yeah, yeah, yobos. <laughs> yeah. We got one listener. We got one like. Yeah, Nicholas, there. There's <laughs> our first like. Yep.
2: Well, Nicola, we, uh, we love, we just love talking to you. I think you inspire creativity, imagination. You inspire life. You're such a great spirit. And uh, I, I wish you and Andrew and the puppy dog safe travels. And I hope we get you back on the show again. But, um, Thank you so much for sharing. I think there's a lot of gold in them. Their creative hills, and um, I agree. it's been great, Robbo. Don't you reckon?
0: I'll, yeah, I've loved it every minute of it. It's great talking to you, Nicola. Mm. You got a great spirit. Done. Absolutely. <laughs> now,
2: where? Where should we send people? People will want to hook up with Nicola, find out about your stuff. What? Where would we send people and what are they, what are they going to see when they get there?
4: Well, I highly encourage people to come on over to my website, nicolanewman.com, that's N-E-W-M-A-N, and there you can sign up and you'll actually be able to receive our free 10-day e-course, which is about getting started with painting and creativity. So it'll take them through a really fun uh, painting Painting exercise and technique, and then we'll do some writing and have a photography adventure as well.
2: Okay, that's awesome, and it's furry, completely furry. Completely free, completely free. Completely free. Completely free.
4: And they'll also get to hear my little updates about the fun things that we're doing out
2: on the road. Nice. <laughs> you digital nomad, you. You're so ahead of the yeah, game. Yeah, that's That's as long <laughs> as you
0: can find a library with a free internet connection. Is that right, Nicola? Well,
2: that's right. Also,
4: LD has very good cheap phone plans, so that's ah. actually... Ah,
1: yeah. There you go. Nice I'm one. telling
2: you Robo, we we are we're cutting edge with this show. We've talked to digital nomads, we have got people living mm. in tiny homes on the road, mm. hooking up to it. We're, we're we're giving people cheap telephone plans throughout <laughs> <laughs> Aldi. That's Hello right. To all our friends at Aldi.
0: That's right, absolutely. <laughs> I tell you what, they actually do. They actually do a really good chocolate chip bicky, Aldi. Do oh. <laughs> yes. they
1: have lots of biscuits?
2: They do. <laughs> we have no sponsors or advertisements, <laughs> no, as the America don't. our friends in America, say. But we're open to it.
0: Yes. Hello, Aldi. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Great. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with
4: you guys too. I always love it. It's always a laugh and it's intellectually stimulating at the same time. So thank you.
0: Enjoy could your trip and drive safely, huh? I hope, I hope you recorded you. that, Rob. We, we could use that to grab. yeah, yeah there's a promo in that in itself. That's We normally get
2: loose and rough
0: transitions. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Nicola. You're
4: welcome, guys. Ciao.
0: Getting your mojo working. This Um.
1: is the Mojo Radio
0: Show. I can honestly say that first interview that we did with Nicola, I don't think I've laughed so much in an interview in the eighty odd episodes of this show. I, it's one of, probably one of my favourite interviews, and that's not far behind that one. How does she get a beautiful spirit? She has. She just. She. You walk away from listening to those interviews feeling good, don't you?
2: I just walk away going, anything's possible. Mm. Why stress? Enjoy yeah. your life. Yeah. Unlock your natural creativity. Paint. Take photos. Dig in the garden, grow
0: something nice, enjoy a flower. <laughs> she's <Yeah>. just <laughs> makes me want to go and makes me want to go and grab the sleeping bag and tent and go and camping somewhere for the night tonight. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> she's following wonderful. Following on from her from their little expedition down the coast, I think she's wonderful. Now. Uh Great show
2: again, some wonderful content, wonderful guests. What are we going to do as a play out this week?
0: Well, I was thinking because we've just had a great chat with Nicola and she's probably one of the most bubbly, happy people I know, I was thinking a bit of REM perhaps.
2: That's a good call actually because – I think we've spoken about Michael Stipe before on the show that he is an artist himself. Mm, He is. He's a doodler, he's a Mm. journaler, Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly creative in more than one way. And
0: uh, are you thinking shiny, happy people? I think that's the only way we could go, isn't it, after talking to Nicola? (laughs) We're out. Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoRadioShow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtwistle.com
3: or to polish your next audio or video production. Check out voodoo sound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you
1: next time.